church at all, ever, right? You've probably been to church either during the Easter season or the Christmas season and have probably heard the, the same story told from the same gospel, the gospel of Luke, because that's like the um, summa cum laude, right, of Christmas stories. Um, and you've probably heard that story, and maybe you've heard it so much, the story has become so familiar to you that the mystery and the power and the impossibility of the story that God was writing through people who simply said yes to him is lost. It's lost in a mix of other, like, well, yeah, it's the story, and I don't even really have to think about it or, um, or contemplate it or reflect on it at all just because of how familiar it is. Um, so, in, uh, in an effort to um, bring us to, you know, kind of bring us back down to earth right now, um, let's go to Luke chapter 1, okay? Luke chapter 1, verse 26. My wife's going to read it for us. Just kidding. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It should be on the screen behind me as well. Hey, look at that. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, who was a descendant of David. Uh, that virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this could possibly be. But the angel said to her, hey, don't, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. Fair question. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was, who was said to be barren, is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. If you have a Bible and something to write with, that's a line to that, that's a little verse to underline. I don't care if it's a pew Bible. I don't care if it's your neighbor's Bible, right? If they're not underlying it, you underline that verse, right? Because because if anything takes root in your heart this morning, make it be 
Luke chapter 1, verse 37. For nothing is impossible with God. Verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, um, Lord, setting aside all pretense, setting aside even, Lord, um, any wisdom that I think I bring to this passage, any insight, Lord, we pray that your spirit, Father, uh, would speak to us the story of Mary. Lord, let the words, nothing is impossible with God, be written on our hearts. Lord, and let our, uh, let our response to your calling in our life be, may it be to us as you have said. We are your servants. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. So the stories of Christmas. Well, I read this. Um, I read this story, and I'm, I, I'm sometimes I'm, take, I'm taking to the real practical level. There's the obvious supernatural implications, the miraculous, the impossible, the the inconceivable, biological, scientific. Like what is going on in this story? And then there is like the the um, I don't know the extremely practical aspects of what is going on here. In the very beginning, verses 26 through 28, you hear of this couple, um, Joseph and Mary, who are pledged to be married to each other. An angel, Gabriel, came to Nazareth, a town of Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the, and the angel shows up on the scene and, uh, and, and, and gives Mary a word. And I'm just thinking, like, where it, what, like, at what point in Mary and Joseph's relationship or life is this angel bursting onto the scene with this, um, to put it, to put it um, softly, life-altering, universe-altering, earth-shattering news of you're pregnant, going to be pregnant. Oh yeah, he's the son of God. Oh yeah, you're a virgin. Good luck. <laughs> like at what point, right? Because if Mary is a human being like you and I, and Mary and Joseph have a typical relationship of like engaged people, despite cultural differences, right? They, they probably had some, um, some pretty specific plans, ideas, goals, and expectations about what life was going to look like as a married couple. Right? Did you have plans? Married people? Married? How about, how about anyone in, in this room, right? Do you have plans about what life is going to look like? Oh yeah, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this, and then this is going to happen, and then I'm going to go here, and then this is going to be accomplished. And then, like, just like any other person, I, you got to believe that Mary and Joseph had, like, all right, um, we're, uh, we're going to get married, and I'm going to open up my own carpenter shop, 
and then we're going to move on to Nazareth because nothing good ever comes from there, right? And, um, and we're going to make a great living, and we're going to have um, lots of little bundles. I mean, Mary, you're going to get pregnant like five times. She must go to conduit or something like that. And, and like, it's going to be just, it's going to, we have all of these great plans. They had marked out the, the dimensions and the direction of their story. Marriage and kids and, and jobs and moving plans and all of these great, like, building up in your head the reality of what is going to be. And, you know, I mean, most people, most people have a plan towards life. It's cool, Devin. It's just Devin, don't worry. Most people have a plan about life, right? They have like, you, you think that way. You know, I, I've set forth a dream. I, I've set forth this, this plan, this, this expectation. You know, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm going to finish school and then I'm going to get a great job and I'm going to meet the right person, right? And I'm going to have a, a fairy tale, um, I'm going to have a fairy tale wedding and we're going to live together for forever and we're going to have you know, two kids and a dog and a white picket fence and then we're going to get, then we're going to retire and my grandkids are going to come and, and visit me on the weekends and it's just going to be like this, this great, great plan. We have all of these plans and all of these expectations trying to write the story of our lives before, um, before we even get there. And if there's one thing um, man, holy cow. If there is one thing that I've learned about, like, I would say specifically in the last, like, 13 years of being married and starting my career and having, um, you know, having kids or jobs and going to, going to church and being, being a pastor and moving from this church to that, if there is one thing that I have learned through that time is that, man, you take my plans and you could crumple them up in a little ball, right? And you can throw them out the window. That's about what they amount to, right? And of course, we shouldn't be surprised by this, right? Scripture, scripture is, is really clear, right? Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21, what does it say? It says, many are the plans in a man's heart. But what? But it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Many are the plans of a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. If you read the story here, you've got to wonder what Mary and Joseph thought about all the plans that they had. About the beautiful life that they intended to live about all of their expectations, about how much their parents would just love and be excited for and, and celebrate their first child. And then maybe, just maybe, our understanding of what happens when our plans and our dreams and our expectations about life are broken in an instant is that it, give, it makes Mary's response to the angel make a little bit more sense. 
Because I never really understood this until I thought about it maybe in this way. Okay? What is Mary's response to the angel? Verse 29. Because if you, if you look at verse 28, right? It says, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Positive or negative greeting? Super positive, right? The angel Gabriel, as, as majestic as they come outside of God himself, right? Greetings to you. The Lord is with you. You are highly favored. Gabriel doesn't come swinging a burning, flaming sword, speaking about judgment, right? He's like, Mary, the Lord is with you. You are favored. Please, Lord, let it be to me as it was to Mary in that instant. But what is Mary's, what is Mary's reaction? Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled by his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Like, it doesn't seem to, like, it doesn't seem to match, right? It, it doesn't seem to line up there. And I got to thinking about this, and I'm asking the Lord, like, Lord, Lord, what did you do to that poor girl in that moment where, where she was troubled and worried? I mean, you got to think that Gabriel had enough foresight not to be like, greetings to you, you know? It was probably pretty gentle. But so there's just this wondering, like, what was it about that moment that left Mary in that state? And then I, the Lord brought me back to my own, like, um, disappointment over the plans that I had made and the dreams that I had and the expectations about life that... I thought like, okay, this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen. And, and, and every time there was like, every time there was a big detour in that or a big deviation from what I thought the plan should be and the expectations of how it should go, like, it's almost like life was falling apart. Like, what are you talking? No! I had a plan. I had a I had steps. I had a I had I had I had a one-year plan and three-year goals and five-year dreams and and ten-year aspirations. Like, what what is going on here? And it's not even it's not even apparent that Mary knew right there in that moment that the plan of her life was going to change. Um, but sometimes, you know what? Sometimes we hold so tightly to our personal dreams about our lives that even the hint of deviation from those in an outside, from an outside source sends us into an absolute tailspin. Shut down, right? No. Troubled, anxiety, worried, anger. What kind of greeting is this? Like, I got a plan, Lord. I got something that I'm going to do. But listen, um, this is the way that life is, right? And, we, <laughs> and, and it, we, we lose our minds because every time it happens, right, we're like, well, 
yeah, of course, expect the unexpected, right? There, I can't control my, I'm, I'm not in control of my life, right? We all think we're in control. We all want to be in control. When we're all honest with ourselves, at the end of the day, laying in bed, we all know we have zero control. But we still try to arrange the circumstances of life so that we can control them. And then get disappointed again when it doesn't work out. Right? This vicious cycle of having no control, things being out of control, but thinking that we can control, and then being disappointed when there's no control. Right? But listen, um, control is an illusion. Control is an illusion. You don't have control. You, you, you don't have control. You are not the captain of your ship. Many are the plans of a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purposes who prevail. That prevail. And we all, we, we sit here in this moment with this sense of like, and our, you know, like your stomach would drop. Like, oh, I hate that. But you don't. You don't hate that. And the reason that you don't hate that is because all of your plans are so tiny. All of your plans are so minuscule. All of your plans are so ridiculously boring and bland. They're like some mathematical equation that anyone could determine for you. You're boring. You're safe. Right? You don't, you don't have God-sized plans. You have Cameron-sized plans. And, and the awesome thing about a story, the awesome thing about the Christmas story, the story of Christmas, the story of Mary, the story of you, the story of me, is that they don't, stories don't follow predictable plans. That's a... If you, want to live a, if you want to live a life that's predictable, you're living, a, you're, you're, you're living in a math formula. Right? But life's not a math formula. Life, life is a story. And stories become stories when they deviate from the anticipated or expected plans. Those are the moments, right? Those are the detours where, where God comes on the scene. And if, and if Gabriel hadn't showed up in the life of Mary in that moment, she may have went on to lead the predictable math formula type of life. But it was when God showed up in Mary's life and the story changed that everything changed. Everything changed for her. So... What we have to do is determine, or we have to, let's look at the rest of this scripture and say, well, why was Mary's fear, why was, the, why was her fear in verse, that we see in verse 29, why was it misplaced? Why, why, why can we tell Mary, hey Mary, um, do not be afraid. Why did, why did Gabriel go on to say to Mary, don't be troubled, don't be afraid. Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words. You with me? Verse 29? Yeah, okay. Mary was greatly troubled at his words 
wondered what kind of greeting this might be, verse 30. But the angel said to her, right? Do not be afraid, Mary. Why was Mary's fear misplaced? Because of this right here. You have found favor with God. There's no room for fear, Mary. Because you have found favor with God. You will be with a child. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Now, we're honest with us. We're honest with the story, right? Um, if we're honest with our own stories, uh, fear still, fear still reigns. Fear, fear is still present in the midst of things and circumstances that are that are unknown. And even if the angel said, hey, hey, Mary, don't be afraid. You are favored. There was undoubtedly these moments of these, this still foreboding sense of, of fear. Um, why? Sometimes... This is important, okay? Sometimes favor with God looks a lot like disaster to the rest of the world. Okay? Say that again. Are you grabbing grab on to that yet? Sometimes favor with God looks like Disaster to the rest of the world. Well, what are you talking about, disaster? Well, um, here's the thing Mary was just told that um, as a virgin, she would be pregnant with the Son of God. Now, I am um, not an expert in these matters, um, but if you um, were uh, to walk into a doctor's office, ladies, say, um, doctor, I am a virgin and I am pregnant with the Son of God. Um, likely. Um, likely you would be having a much different conversation with your doctor um, than whether or not you are actually pregnant. Um, um, because it's not a thing that normal people say, right? Uh, it's, not a thing that, it's not a thing that happens. It's, a, it's the most unlikely of all scenarios, right? Um, I'm pregnant, um, but I am a virgin, but don't worry because the baby that's inside of me happens to be the one that breathed all of, of all of creation into existence. No big deal, right? 
And so, put yourself, put yourself in Mary's story, right? This is Mary's story. As a young girl, as a young woman, who is going to believe her? Who is going to support her? Who is going to be excited for her? What, what is her story going to... What is she thinking about this, the big announcement that's going to be made? Baby showers and balloons and, you know, like, guess the baby's weight type of games? No. This meant for Mary, from a worldly sense, this was disastrous. This was not exciting. This was not, this was not planned. This was not expected. This was not, this was not something that others were going to get excited about. Others would look upon the situation of Mary and be absolutely disgusted with it. Insult, like, insulted by the insinuation that anyone would believe that you are indeed a virgin and that the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you have conceived a child. Are you crazy, Mary? And so, yes, there was, there was absolute fear in Mary because um, in that moment, the only thing that she could see was that favor from God meant disaster in the world. Life is going to fall apart really quick. What does it take to be favored by God? What does it take to be favored? I was asking the Lord this question. Didn't really have an answer to it until uh, last night. And uh, it was at Conduit. Um, if you don't know, I'm going to tell you more. We have another location. Conduit Ministries has another location. Conduit North on the north side of the city. We meet in the back of Papa Joe's laundromat. Yes, you heard that right. We meet in a laundromat Saturdays at 5 p.m. And it's an awesome, 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 awesome time. And uh, maybe about 35 to 40 people normally on, um, on a Saturday. And about half of those um, are little kids. Not our own little kids, although that can happen, right? Uh, but little kids from the neighborhood. It's a warm place, and we feed them, and we love them, and it's like, oh, you know, like, did you ever know that people who are not often loved gravitate to places where they are loved unconditionally? And so Conduit North has kind of become like a, 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 a magnet for little kids who are um, hungry, both physically hungry and spiritually hungry, and hungry to just be, like, loved. And so it's been a great place. And last night, uh, we don't always have all of my kids there because it gets really packed and full. Um, and I've got five kids, and uh, my oldest, Noah, yesterday was with me there. And uh, he's six, and um, it's kind of, um, um, you know, if you come, ever come to Conduit North at uh, 5 p.m. on a Saturday, don't expect this kind of environment. Uh, you will not find it there. Um, it is more like, um, throwing a bunch of squirrels in a room and then trying to get them all in one corner, right? Um, 
that's more it's more like it all right and so it was it was uh, it was fairly hectic last last night and I had this moment of like where's my son where's my son because there was just a sea of children right and and sometimes he they you know he wants to go outside or whatever I'm like you know you're not gonna go outside and play on second street in the middle of the night no 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 so there was this moment of like, where is my son? I can't find him. This initial moment of like, whew, you know, your heart drops in your stomach, right? And then you see him. I'm like, okay. Uh, and he comes over to me and he's standing here with me. And like, there's this thing like, you know how you, sometimes you, you have like um, conversations with yourself where if you said it out loud, it would take like three hours to say the whole thing but you automatically know everything, like the conclusion of the story at the end. And the conclusion of the story at the end was, like, I was scared I couldn't find my son. I didn't know what, would, what happened to him, but I was prepared to, no matter what, no matter what the case was, there, there was nothing or no one in that room that was gonna stop me from getting to my son, protecting my son, making sure he was okay in that moment. I didn't matter who else's kids were there. It didn't matter who was my guest. It didn't matter if I was a pastor. I was a father, right? And my son was in the room somewhere, but he was lost, and I couldn't find him, right? What, is it, what does it mean to have, what does it mean to have favor? What does it mean to have favor? Um, in that moment and, and in, that, in that time, um, there was no one in that room that mattered as much as my son. There was no length, there's no length that I would not have gone to to ensure his safety. There is nothing that could have stood in the way of me being next to him. Nothing. Nothing in all of the earth could have prevented me from finding him and being with him. The angel Gabriel said, Mary, do not be afraid. You have found favor in the eyes of God. And what else? The Lord is with you. Favor, favor is the the, the condition of being perpetually in the presence of God. There is no, uh, there, is, there is nothing that can, uh, there's nothing that can, that can be in the way of God's desire to be with you, standing right with you, protecting you in the midst of the chaos of the room. Favor is not, um, Favor is not like um, an increased bank account, right? Favor, favor is not extravagant, um, extravagant material blessing, as, as we have sometimes come accustomed to believing that it is. Favor is the undeniable, never thing, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Mary, 
Mary was assured that in the midst of all of her plans and expectations and dreams, that in, that in the midst of the reality of what looked like life was falling apart, that God had not left her even for a moment. That God was there. That God was in the midst of it all. That God had found her in the midst of the crisis. In the room that was crazy. Was holding her by the hand. Saying, I've got this. Now, sometimes, favor with God looks like or means for you disaster in the world. And we don't always like to, uh, we don't always like to try in or even think about making connections, um, making connections between the disastrous events of this life that we live and God's favor with us. We, we think the two are separate, right? That something bad is happening to me, therefore God must not be here. If, if God was here, this wouldn't be happening. If, if God was with me, nothing bad would ever happen. I've said this, I, I know I've said this here before, I say this um, anytime that I get an opportunity because, um, because of how ridiculously true it's been in my life, but how, but how interwoven to every word of Scripture this principle is, um, is that it's every single lesson that I have learned that has made me more and more like Jesus. Every single thing that has brought me closer to the side of Jesus. Every single thing that has uh, refined my character to be more spirit-filled. Every single thing that has changed me for the better has been at the hands of a negative worldly circumstance or experience. Every single thing. I can I cannot name one thing where I had a, a positive, good, like, oh, that was really an enjoyable experience and I grew in the Lord from it. No. Every single thing that, has, that I have grown in holiness from, where I have received more of the Holy Spirit in my character and in my mind and in my life, has come at the hands of an experience or a situation or a relationship where if you would have given me the choice, I would have said, no, thank you. I don't want to experience that. I don't want to go through that. I don't want to have that. No, no thank you. Let me avoid absolutely everything, everything that's negative as I possibly can. And you know what? You know how many, you know how many, you know how many like moments where God has refined my character and changed my direction and, and renewed my spirit? I would have missed if I would have said to Lord, the Lord, Lord, just please um, don't don't ever change the trajectory of my plans. 
don't, 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 don't ever interrupt the direction that I'm going or the, or the, the, the expectations that I have or, or, the, or the plans that I... Don't worry, Lord. I know what's best for me. I know what you want to accomplish in me. And if you just leave me to my own devices, I will get there. And then we, then we say that prayer and we realize how foolish it is. Because you know and I know that the things that have changed you the most for the better have been negative. Have been the things that if given the choice, you would have said, no thank you. And so there comes a moment where, what do we say? <laughs> what, what do we say in the face of worldly disaster? Well, verse 34. Well, let's just continue to read. But the angels, uh, verse 30, I'm sorry. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now Mary, the pragmatist, not even, I'm not even going to say the pragma, pragmatist, the person. Uh, question, question. How will this be if I am still a virgin? How will this be? Now, um, sometimes we, sometimes, sometimes we rag on Mary like, oh yeah, she didn't even believe the angel who said she was going to be pregnant, although she's never had sex. <laughs> I wouldn't have done that. Yeah, you would have. Um, Yep, yep, you would have. The angel answered her. Verse 35. I got your answer right here, Mary. Put this in your pipe and smoke it. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh. Whoops! <laughs> Hashtag Conduit Ministries. Uh, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Sorry, honey. And, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth your relative who is going to have a child in her old age, she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Alright. Um, I'm going to read this, because when I wrote it down, I'm like, if I don't read that, it's good. I'm not going to get it. And I, I need you to get this. Okay? You need to hear this. 
when our view of God is based only on what is worldly possible, we will always believe only small, non-miraculous things about his favor towards us. When our view of God, when our, when our belief in God, when our understanding of who God is, is based only on what is possible in the natural world. A woman has sex, she gets pregnant. A virgin can't get pregnant. That's not possible in the world, right? When our view of God is based only on what is possible in the here and the now, the things that we can explain, the things that have a plan, the things that have a formula, the things that make perfect sense. When our view of God only is subscribed to those things, then we will always and forever believe tiny, little, insignificant, non-miraculous things about his favor towards you. The favor of God in your life will never be anything that affects you in a real and powerful way if all you ever expect about the favor of God is for him to do things that you can perfectly explain. Oh, I went from step one to step two to step three to step four to step five to step six, and that's how God got me from step one to step seven. No, it doesn't work that way, right? And, and, and until we embrace the reality that the favor of God often does things that are miraculously unexplainable. We will live um, very unremarkable lives. The miracle working power of God rushes like a mighty river to the places where faith is being expressed in the face of the impossible. Need to hear that again? The miracle working power of God rushes like a mighty river to the places where faith is being expressed, even in the face of what the world says is impossible. You want to see the miraculous power of God, the favor of God, rush like a mighty river over every circumstance and relationship and experience in your life, then stand in the face of everything that the world says is impossible and believe that God is with you. And that which is expressed in faith, in the face of the impossible, will fall by the miraculous power of God.
Is it impossible? Is it impossible for a virgin to become pregnant? The world would say yes. I'm not up here saying that, I'm not up here saying that I understand it. Biologically or scientifically or in any way, shape, or form, right? What I am saying is that in the face of what the world sees as impossible, in the face of what the world knows is impossible, Mary stood in the face of everything that was impossible and said what? No. Can't happen, Lord. It took her a minute to get there, right? Uh, how, um, point of clarification, how will I get pregnant if I am still a virgin? Man, it's so, like, real, right? Like, we, we spiritualize the whole thing, but Mary's even like, yeah, bro, I don't get it. The angel's like, this, 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 and this. And Mary's like, uh, this is impossible. Verse 38. But I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Um, there's this thing about uh, there's this thing about servants, right? Mary Mary says to Gabriel, "All right, I'm the Lord's servant. I am the Lord's servant." That's who I am now. Do servants have any plans of their own? No. Right? If you're a servant, right? If you are a servant, you do what? What you're told. Right? You have a master. You have a lord. You're not, you're, you, you don't sit as some autonomous person who can make their own plans and map out their own life and say, well, I'm going to get, I'm going to go to school and then I'm going to get, um, I'm going to find the right person and then I'm going to get married and then we're going to have kids and um, um, 2.5 of them and uh, a picket fence and a dog and um, all, all of this, you know, and we... We, we, we map it out, right? No, 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 no. Only someone who is on their own plan maps out their own course, right? Because a, a servant doesn't have their own plan. Uh, a, a, a servant is at the ready for the plans of the one who is over them. And, and when we submit ourselves to the plan of, of the Lord, right? Then, then what is unexpected becomes expected, and 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 when we submit ourselves to the plans of the Lord, what we're saying is, Lord, I trust that even your worst plan for me is better than my best plan for me. Even your, even even what you're going to do in my life on the worst day is 100 times better than anything I could possibly imagine on my best day. 
Because when we stand in the face of the impossible, stand on the, in the place of faith in front of the impossible, the miracle-working power of God comes like a mighty river. And not to over-dramatize the decision that Mary makes here, right? Because, let's just be honest, if Mary said no, God would have done it with someone else, right? He would have. Why? Because many are the plans of a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purposes who prevail, right? The purpose of the Lord would have prevailed. But think of Think of the way that Mary's story is left. And then think about the way that you want your story to be left. What, what, do, you, what do you want the ending of your story to be? How was, how was Mary used? What I think is that when, not what I think, what I think the scripture shows, what I think we see in the story of Mary and in our own story is that uh, really, really, <laughs> really as simply as I can say it, when we say yes to God, even though we don't understand it, even though it doesn't fit in the steps of the plan that we have, like, adopted our own, when we say yes to God, God uses the yes to change the world. What is the impossible thing that, that you're standing in front of? What, what, what is, the, what is the, Im, the immovable, impossible never going to get through it, never going to get over it, never going to get past it, never going to experience it thing. Where is God asking you to stand in a place of faith that He is with you? How are you responding to him in that moment? Are you saying, ah. or are we standing in a place of saying, I am the Lord's servant. I have no plans of my own. I have no dreams of my own. Lord, do with me and through me what you will. You see, I know even the attitude of the heart is saying like, well, 
but but like I want to hold on to that plan and I want to hold on to that dream and like I, I don't think that's a bad thing and that, like it's a good thing and you know what it's not even that when you say to the Lord do with me what you want do with me whatever you I am your servant it's not as if God is waiting for your permission to change the trajectory of your life it's not okay he doesn't doesn't need your permission to do that all right so it doesn't mean that when you say lord i am your servant do with me what you will let it be to me as you have desired that it that it is that it necessitates a change in your plans in fact in reality um what it does is it gives god the opportunity to show you how small your expectations are. How little you have actually asked for and desired and dreamed about in comparison to what he wants to do through you. What do you think Mary had envisioned for her child? Well, I hope he just grows up to be a nice, polite young man. Right? Like, not to point out the obvious, but Jesus grew up to be quite a nice, polite young man. Right? Some, sometimes. But you see the disparity between what the probable dream that Mary had was and the, what actually happened when she finally said yes to God. She probably just thought her son would be healthy. And instead of her son just being healthy, right? Her son was the king of kings and the lord of lords sitting at the right hand of God. Not just being healthy, but bringing eternal health to all people. I'm confident that, that the things that you are saying are impossible. Right? That that, that when you that when you give yourself as, as servant to the Lord's plan for your life that everything that you think is impossible will be drowned in the mighty river of God's miraculous power to completely change the course of your life to completely alter your reality to completely, like, just change everything. If there's anything that happened here in Luke chapter 1, it's like, this changes everything. This changes everything. As the band comes back up, I'm going to take a, a few moments to pray. Um, pray for you, pray over you.